You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. The first results from the Brothers War are in, and the spice is flowing in Modern and Pioneer. Today we take a look at 10 of the most exciting new deck lists, and the cards making the biggest impact on the top tier metagame. All of that and more is coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by Zach Ryle. He is Mana Symbol Online. What's going on, Zach? How you doing, David? I am ready to talk about some new cards and how they're affecting some of our favorite formats. Some brews uh, of any variety, whether that be caffeinated or otherwise. <laughs> Excellent. And we are joined, of course, by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Daniel Schrieber. He is joining us from... The Middle East, what is going on, my friend? Hello, hello. Good to be here with you guys. My brothers. Although I feel like these days that's not a good thing necessarily. <laughs> Why exactly would that be? That was a seamless Brothers War tie-in. It's Brothers War Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Brothers at War. Got it. Yeah. The jokes are flying. They're sizzling. The decks are hot. This is going to be a killer episode. <laughs> flying right over my head. I'll add a laugh track in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is the first week of Brothers War. Um, we are going to take a look at how people have been trying to incorporate the new cards into both the Pioneer and Modern format. Before we do that, of course, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping at the top. And the first thing we want to do is shout out our newest patrons. So a big thank you and hello to Eric C. Salter034. And Panak 010, thank you very much to all three of you. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons. If you're a fan of the show, if you like the podcast, the best way to support what we do is by going to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. That'll get you access to our wonderful Discord community. You'll also get some other fun perks. Uh, you get to vote for cards. We got another vote coming up, uh, I don't know, hopefully next week for our monthly project. And from time to time, you know, we have bonus content as well. We've got a couple new articles this week up on faithlessbrewing.com. Uh, one of them, David put together a bunch of new lists. He's been a brewing machine these last few weeks. What is it, like a dozen lists, David, that you got put together there? Yeah, I mean, probably even more than that that aren't even on the list, right? We were talking about a bunch of, um, what's that draw to make a, a Power Stone card? Splitting the Power Stone? Stern Lesson, is it? Oh, Stern Lesson. Yeah, I think that plus um, plus Torrential Gearhulk, that's got in some interesting applications. So, yeah, lots of ideas, right? It's, just, it's more just, uh, I think, decks for people to respond to. Um, maybe take a few synergies from there and put them into your own list, right? You don't have to just play the same three or four lists that everyone chooses to play in Pioneer over and over again. Yeah, we just want you to feel something. Like, these are provocative lists. You're supposed to bristle a little bit when you read them raise your hackles 
that's what we're going for here with these first drafts. Also got another article up there going over some of the cards to watch, we could say, from this set. Kind of an expansion of our top five show. So if you go check out those articles, we'll have links in the episode description. They're also available on faithlessbrewing.com. And yeah, hope to get some juices flowing as we dive into the Brothers War season. So speaking of Brothers War season, it was the regional championships last weekend. Everybody was playing Pioneer. Everyone's trying to, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say innovate. Everyone's trying to play the same four decks over and over again. Uh, and what new cards could they fit into those decks? Uh, break it down for us, Mr. Schreiber. So we're looking at some stats here from the European Regional Championship. Big events, two days. So this is in some sense one of the more competitive events that we'd see. No surprise that people crystallize around the top decks, Mono Green, Rakdos Midrange, and Is It Phoenix are the top three decks at 20, 14.4, and 13.9% respectively. Now, they were kind enough to go through the deck list and give us a breakdown of all the Brothers War most played cards. And as you might expect, at the top of the list are all the cards that you can possibly fit into Mono Green, Rakdos, and Is It. Yeah, although a bit of a surprising one for me that Misery's Shadow is the top contender with 118 copies. Must have been picked up pretty ubiquitously across the board by the second most popular deck, Rakdos Midrange. But uh, it was one of those things where, although it can kill ver people very quickly, I guess I'm happy to see fixed Nantuko Shade uh, actually being picked up by decks. Whether or not it actually ends up uh, proving itself uh, as worthy of the slot. Well, it's not fixed Nantuku Shade. Fixed implies a card was broken, and then they corrected it. And this is power creeped Nantuku sure. Shade. Yeah, uh, Nantuku Shade for the new generation for 2022. You're 100 percent correct. It is definitely power crept to all hell. But yeah, I mean, the reason it's probably number one, right, is the like next bunch of cards are all sideboard cards, so they're probably only one ofs. And if you're adopting Shadow, some decks are probably playing more than one, mm -hmm. maybe all four. But most people are just playing one Haywire Might in the sideboard or... One Stone Brain. Uh, you know, one Stone Brain. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Obliterating Bolt also possibly uh, a split of main deck and sideboard. Uh, Brotherhood's End, potentially, again, uh, a split of main deck and sideboard. And then Cityscape Level are actually making it in as uh, into the Karn board um, as a replacement for Meteor Golem, which I just found out the other night can't destroy lands. Um, so... Yeah, I heard you guys say that on the pod. I was just like, ah, that's, that was a wince. Yeah, well, I, again, it's uh, I hadn't played it since when Mono Green initially was a deck. So uh, definitely, that's on God me. knows I'd played it. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I knew it, sadly, to not blow up lands. <laughs> but as we get a little lower down this list, we see some interesting cards like Recruitment Officer. Uh, not necessarily a card I would have expected to see getting picked up, but I guess it fits in the Mono White Aggro deck. Brushland, getting the pain lands into some of the more aggressive color combinations. Uh, it's not surprising that that's going to be seen here. I'm surprised Brushland is so low. I uh, agree with Dan's assessment. I think it's actually the best card for the format. Um, probably because people don't brew. It'll just take a while for people to figure out what the best green-white aggro list is. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Brushland became borderline ubiquitous. But there was an Angels deck that won the challenge last weekend or before that, I believe, um, that was getting to take advantage of that because of course these cards have been legal on magic online a little bit longer i think 
Yeah, I just feel like there's got to be something better to do than angels, but I I don't I don't know what it is myself, but that's people out there should be trying and I think that's there's definitely something worthy to be doing there. Yeah. And then uh we actually have a deck to talk about later on that's taking advantage of this Kayla's reconstruction. Uh I've heard people call it the white collected company and I just want to say that it's very much not that, but it is its own thing <laughs> and it turns out it seems to be somewhat playable. Well, people are playing it in Angels, for example, but what is Kayla's Reconstruction? I mean, we didn't talk about this card at all. Right. So uh, X, white, 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 sorcery. No matter what X you pay, you look at the top seven cards of your library. Then you put up to X artifact and or creature cards with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield. The rest go on your bottom of your library in any order or in a random order. So for four mana, you get to look at your top seven and grab one three cost or less. For five, you get two. For six, you get three, so on and so forth. So no matter how much you're paying for X, you're looking at seven. And I think this is one of those cards where people are so used to the, like the Genesis wave effects that it's like you're going to look at X where you paid for X, and it's also going to be X cost. Um, and that is not what this does. Um, and the fact that it gets both artifacts and creatures is not insignificant. But is it good is the question. Because I think when we were looking at the spoiler, I was just like, yeah, pass. This is a lot of mana. Well, it's powerful, and for a single card to be able to put out that much value, like, if you're if you're casting this for six mana, and if you're playing a mono-white devotion deck like I would imagine that you'd want to play it in, uh, all of a sudden, that's that's a pretty powerful move. Now, what you actually put in the deck to go along with that, that's something we'll get to look at in a little bit, but I personally, th- just, just upon rereading that card, it was like, oh, this is actually somewhat powerful. Whether or not it's it, it has the right deck to support it, we'll find out. So there are a bunch of artifacts that, as we were analyzing them, I don't know how many times we said the phrase, you can put this in your Karn wishboard. Interesting to me that as we're seeing like the actual numbers here, at least from this European tournament, you can see, like what, six or seven different artifacts that are all played only in the sideboard. But the numbers mm-hmm. kind of in a descending in a straight line. So everyone agreed that they want the Stone Brain that had the most copies. Most people wanted Cityscape Leveler. There were 76 copies in the sideboard, zero main deck. Most people, but a smaller number, wanted Haywire Might, only 65 copies of that. Woodcaller Automaton, mixed reviews on that, right? Some people were saying, this is like a free ritual effect. It's, it's going to be totally broken in mono green. I think, David, you were quite skeptical of that. And the opinion is split. I mean, only 35 copies in the sideboard of Woodcaller Automaton. You can go further down the list and you see some artifacts that, at least to me, I did not expect to see these in consideration at all. Mightstone and Weakstone, 10 people were playing that in the card board. Portal to Phyrexia, 12 people playing that. What do you guys make of these numbers? Well, uh, Portal to Phyrexia is definitely one of the more questionable ones, because for 9 mana, I feel like you often have something better to be doing. Like, I think, combo killing your opponent, if I understand the mono green direct deck correctly. Um, and the Mightstone and Weakstone is just weird for me in that it is like a five mana draw to or dismember that also can then tap for additional mana. So uh, these are not cards I would expect to see stick around. And I'm not 100% sure like what type of testing brought them to want those cards in their sideboard. Portal to Frexy is very powerful, but I just don't. There's plenty of games that it just doesn't really affect that much. And you could just be winning more otherwise. Yeah, Karn boards are weird. You Karn for like three things 99% of the time. And then because people don't want a sideboard at all, they just have 
uh, 11 other cards in their sideboard that <laughs> they could sideboard for, right? So it's it's that classic, like, and, and I'm guilty of this when I build a lot of these main deck things. You get too cute with your tutor targets. But Karn, like, is a total, you know, like, there's no calories in any of this uh, candy. So it's just <laughs> like, oh, sometimes I'm going to want to give a creature minus five, minus five. And other time I want to draw two. This save space in my Karn board does both. Yeah, um, twofer. But like just a zillion percent of the time, you're getting the <laughs> boat, you're getting the six-minute artifact that makes our spells more expensive, you're getting a land, uh, and every once in a while, if you need a flying blocker, you're getting Heart of Kirin, and there's basically no other cards to get, uh, unless you're actually combo killing. And then none of the other cards in your sideboard matter at all, so you can just pick whatever you want. I mean, if you want to try out the leveler or whatever, um, the Stone Brain was added, right, just because it's specifically the only card or it's another card you basically get to have two cards against um lotus field lotus field just won a challenge the other day smoking mono green mm-hmm. um so that's your that's your out there and the stone brain is the mirror breaker for the mono green mirror match whoever resolves the first stone brain is almost definitely going to win unless they have a card in play right well the they, problem with stone brain is it's not a good mirror breaker if they just play karn no but you like the point is you get your karn you get your stone brain you exile their karns that's that's the plan and then if one of the players does that, it's probably over. So before we leave this top tier meta for Pioneer, what do you guys think about Misery's Shadow? I don't think we even talked about this card in our set reviews. David, you'd, you'd noted in our internal notes that this is a very powercraft card compared to previous versions of the Shade effect. But, I mean, it's not a Brewer's card, it's just like a creature, right? <laughs> it's got a minor Kalidas text, I guess. But it's mainly just, you know, a two-drop that gets huge. See people playing two copies, sometimes three copies in Rakdos decks. We see other Rakdos decks not playing any copies. Does Rakdos want a Tarmogoyf? I mean, is that how I should be thinking of this card? I mean, I, I don't think it does. I'm surprised people are playing this. One of the things in the mirror you want is to make sure your opponent is not getting a two-for-one with their um, Bone Crusher Giant. And this just lines you up for that so often like you basically can't play it on two so you have a two drop and you only have room for so many and this is when you never want to play on two so i i I don't i mean and if you have four mana why not play something better um so yeah this card does not appeal to me at all even the exile clause is not that relevant it is good against green uh people don't think of it that way but exiling the five six and the four four is actually a big deal so if you think of this on two specifically against green, then they play their three or whatever. Let's say they ramp and they play their five, six. Your dread bore, your push, now that's all upside. So I think that's the main use uh, is, to, is to punish mono green. How interesting. And if you think mono green is the best deck in the format, and of course people oscillate between which decks must, must be banned because they're so broken, um, then Misery Shadow is a, is a fine two drop. That's not terrible against anything else, right? It, Dice all their removal, but so do all your other creatures. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's Pioneer's top tier, the known decks, and seeing which Brothers War cards fit in. We'll look briefly at Modern, where we haven't had any big events yet. We've just had, you know, one set of league results and some prelims to see if any of these cards are breaking into, like, the known archetypes. For the most part, uh, the answer is No. We're just looking at cyborg cards. I think the Stone Brain is the one that is seeing the most play. We'll see if that continues or not. But, you know, I saw some in random decks. I saw Hammer Time. I saw Hardened Scales, Tron, just 
packing stone brains on the sideboard. Prisontron, the, the one that Zach is a big fan of, seemed like some players, like uh, Susurus, Prison Mike, was playing three stone brains main, plus one in his card and board, but others were just playing one and one. Any thoughts on this, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely... I haven't done enough testing to have a sure answer. All I know is that you definitely want one in the Karn board, and then my inclination is you want exactly one in the main deck, but you might not want any. And the reason is, there are some decks in the format where playing it on two and curving into on three is fine, but there's a reason that you don't see a lot of people playing main deck Unmoored Ego. Um, It's because there's just so many things, so many decks where that's not good, or even when you draw it, it's the wrong game, the wrong timing, and you 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 can't really take advantage of what it's doing for you. So my inclination is that playing that many copies is not correct. Uh, we played uh, five-color Niv-Mizzet Bring Delight, and that would play a main deck, Unmoored Ego, but that's because you could tutor for it when you wanted it, and you could, you know, Niv-It. And I think having one copy in your main deck is probably a similar thing, where it's like, well, you have Inventor's Fair, sometimes you don't have a Karn, sometimes you get to go to it, but a lot of the time, what you're doing with it in this deck is um, you're, you're not doing it on curve. You're not playing it on two into three. It's just something that comes up a little bit later in the game to cut off avenues of victory for your opponent. Um, whether that be taking the Archons out of Indomitable Creativity, uh, taking the Titans out of Titan. Um, but they have, most of these decks have more than one way to actually win. So leaning into into it so hard is not necessarily something I'd want to do. David, wasn't Jester's Cap like one of the most sought-after cards from Ice Age for like years and years? Yeah, I mean, that was back when so little magic was played to the board though, right? So you would just get in these games sort of like uh, if you imagine your opponent like ultimates uh, five mana Teferi now and then doesn't really have a win condition. They just exile all your creatures and mill you out or something as a Teferi loops. You know, that's that's literally what this deck would do. It would just cast it over and over again after it's already established control and exile all your ways to win. But I mean, it's just comically slow now. I mean, Jester's Cap could be four mana sacrifice, like an artifact that just taps a sacrifice. Right. And it would be it would still be too not, slow. Not close to playable. The fact that it only gets three is like <laughs> hilarious. They'd never do that now. Right. And then, I mean, on top of that, it's just there's just so many tools floating around right now that are that you need to deal with first a lot of the time you need to have sorcerer spyglass or pithing needle effects on boseju against a lot of decks you need to yeah it it just it just doesn't actually work out i know a lot of people are high on it but people also love sideboarding in surgical extraction uh in every deck in every matchup so it's just another one of those things where the right number is probably one in the sideboard maybe one in the main deck all right so beyond the stone rain haywire might is a card that a lot of people expect to see widespread play as a one-of. That's what we're seeing so far, mostly just a one-of Saga target, and not every Saga deck. I think, you know, a handful of different decks that include Urza Saga were playing 1x Haywire Might. However, however, there were a couple decks that went a little crazy (laughs) with the Haywire Might, and we'll get to some of those when we get to the spice section here. So keep an eye on Haywire Might. I think the jury is still out on exactly how important that card is in the main deck. Similarly, uh, Third Path Iconoclast, the new young pyromancer that spits out artifact tokens. We talked about how, you know, in the Grinding Breach deck, it's an acceptable secondary threat that in some weird corner cases can also function in the combo, although it's kind of a win more. 
So a couple lists from this first week were trying that. I saw one list put all four copies of the Iconoclast into the main deck, and another list just threw out like one or two copies in. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, in terms of like other known decks incorporating Brothers War cards, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. You know, there was an Obosh Red deck playing Brotherhood's End in the sideboard, but I mean, beyond that, very small impact on the top tier metagame. It's not surprising. It's following the same um, pattern as most of the standard releases have recently. Like, there's a few role players and there's a few cards that people are interested in playing that ultimately don't work out to be um, as good as we, we hoped that they could be. All right, enough about known decks, the tiresome tier one. Let's get down to the spice. The interesting stuff. This is the stuff that feeds the soul of brewers. So we got, uh, what, about 10 decks picked out here, some in Pioneer, some in Modern, featuring new cards from their Brothers War. Are these decks good? I have no idea, but they at least got published, and that's something. That's the first step. So where do you guys want to start? Should we start in Modern or Pioneer? Pioneer is going to have a lot more to talk about, so that's probably the, the right place to start. And uh, the first one we have listed here is uh, a deck they've been seeding for a while. So now I guess we know why in Dominaria United the Soldier Lord was so underpowered compared to some of the other ones, because uh, they were just going to lean into this Soldier theme really hard in this set. And it looks like someone's put together a deck that's taking advantage of some of those new cards. Yeah, such a strange list. So they aren't playing the three-mana soldier that you highlighted in spoiler season, Dan, that gives a plus one, plus one every turn. They are playing the Sky Strike Officer. And then they're just playing a bunch of cards that make, like, Raise the Alarm is probably the best card in the deck, <laughs> uh, along <laughs> with shocking. Resolute Reinforcements. Because it gives a bunch of bodies with Hazda Marshall and Legion's Landing, so your quote-unquote nut draws are pretty good there. And then... If you're going to play a bunch of Lords or Skystrike Officer, which is like a sort of Lord, sort of whatever, and then you get that land that also has like sort of a Lord effect, you just want a bunch of bodies to hold everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, the best card in the deck, if it's not Raise the Alarm, is Harbin Vanguard Aviator. We talked about this during Spoiler Season. This card is so insanely pushed. And we thought maybe we wouldn't see play because there wouldn't be enough soldier support, but... Getting to play a Flying Watch Wolf is just absolutely insane. I mean, and I know it has other text, but it basically doesn't. Just 3-2 flying for two. Yeah, I mean, I think I said that that's like a limited all-star, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess if you were, were going to build a blue-white soldier tribal, you would play Harbin's Dias a Stomp, but so what? I mean, they got to stomp everything in your deck. I think you'd specifically ask me, David, would I prefer, of the three drops, would I prefer Siege Veteran or Sky Strike Officer? Yeah, and I think you said you thought Sky Strike was better, right, at the time. It just, you brought up the white one first, I guess that's why it stuck in my mind. But I think you did identify that you thought the blue one was better. And here it is as a four of, and no, none of the white one. I see four in the sideboard of at least one of the blue white lists. I wonder what's behind that. Like, four Siege Veteran in the sideboard. Yeah, what, what is that? I don't get that either. Like, what does that come in against? <laughs> well, it does have sweeper protection, right? Like, anytime a soldier dies, you get another soldier. Yeah, okay, so it, that's your anti-control card, right? You get rid of Brutal Cathar, which doesn't do anything against control, and hmm. other stuff. <laughs> I mean, they don't play a lot of removal. That's the thing. Mono White, which is very good against Mono Green, right? And Blue Red. It's just really bad against Red Black. Mono White plays four Brutal Cathar and sometimes one other removal creature. Um, 
this is playing just to Brutal Cathar. They can't really kill any other creature. So it's interesting. They're just saying, like, it's going to be a struggle for us if you resolve a Kalidus or whatever else. But we're just going to try to go wide enough that it's not going to matter. Because there are problematic creatures. Kalidus, Shieldred, cards that can stabilize the board. Um, but yeah, they're not that interested. They're not interested in getting rid of the blockers that Mono Green plays, right? Mono Green's got a bunch of just creatures with big butts. They, they have no way to remove it. Yeah, just get your damage in, cast Brave the Elements to punch through, and hope that that's it. Yeah. To protect the negotiators, that's kind of cute. I mean, no Thalia. This, this deck has very little disruption. It's just one drop, two drop, you know, th two drop, one drop on turn three, three drop on turn four. Like, your top 11 cards have to win the game. In some sense, it's not surprising to see a soldier deck getting played in week one. They're inviting us to build this deck. When you're doing your Scryfall search, what are the soldiers? Which ones are good? You know, search for creature type soldier. There's two ways to go. Like, one way is to just search for the creatures that are soldiers, and there you'll find the Thalias, including Thalia's Lieutenant. You might end up with something that looks more like a human's deck. And it's, it's only if you remember to search for the non-creature stuff, the token makers, that you'll find a bunch of soldiers that don't have, like, an assigned race to them. I don't think I would have made the leap that those cards are actually powerful. Like, I, when I look at Raise the Alarm, that doesn't strike me as a powerful card, although it does make two soldiers. Similarly, Legion's Landing, Protect the Negotiators. And then you look at a card like Hazda Marshal, which is a soldier that spits out generic soldier tokens. So, like, yeah, I mean, I guess... If you have enough plausible soldier lords, then yeah, the generic 1-1 soldier is actually stronger than the Thalia's. But this is a surprise to me. Like, I don't think I would have personally gone this direction. I think it's kind of interesting that they went this way, though, because if you go the way that we were thinking, you, we said at the time, this is just a worse humans deck. So if you're going to play soldiers, the advantage of soldiers is that you can make a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And humans has the density of card effects, right? Where you you know, play your um, Thali's Lieutenant, it dies, we uh, extraction specialist it back, and then we get Thalia disrupts them. I mean, we know the story there. Soldiers cannot do that as well, and the mana's worse. So I think you have to get paid off in a different way. I've experimented a lot with Liege's Landing into Raise the Alarm, and those openings are really powerful. Um, so I'm not surprised that if you have pretty good nut draws, that's, that's pretty solid. But yeah, I agree with you. This deck looks a little underpowered, but... It's got to be pretty good. I'm trying to even think like what its matchups are. Where like, if I asked the pilot, John Smith thirty three seventy three, uh, what he or she would like to play each round, I don't even know like what they think they're good at against. You know, like mono white. If they could play mono green every time, mono white would be the best deck in the format. It would have a sixty five percent win rate. It'd be really powerful. But you don't get to do that. Sometimes you have to play red black, and you're like a thirty seventy dog. This is not disruptive like Mono White is, and then it's, I guess it's a slightly more resistant to removal, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm very surprised. Okay, so the fork in the road when building your soldier's deck, what if you took the other branch in the fork? You see that you have Thalia, you have Thalia's lieutenant. You see that they've been making human soldiers forever because there were no soldier lords, so it was like a more or less safe type line. You start to envision in your head a human soldier deck that is mostly like human's deck, like most of your tribal payoffs are human payoffs, but you also have a secondary soldier thing going on. You can play Fortified Beachhead, the new soldier land, although if you're going to play full five colors, 
you're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need secluded courtyard. You're going to need unclaimed territory. One player did do this. They built a five-color human soldier deck. Uh, it looks like they went 3-1 in a prelim. But it's, it's kind of funny <laughs> seeing some of these random creatures in this deck. So I mentioned the good ones, but there's a bunch more that I did not mention that are, are quite, quite strange. What are we looking at here? Recruitment officer, four of that. One Kithion Hero of Akros and three Soldier of the Pantheon. So those are your eight one-drops. At two mana, you have two Bounty Agents, three Harbins, the Soldier, I don't know what we call that. He's not really a lord, but yeah, the three-two soldier. It's a watch wolf, man. The flying watch wolf. I just watch wolf is three toughness. It just hurts me so much. <laughs> watch wolf would never get stomped. He would never break your heart like that. The good boy. Four Thalia, four Thalia's lieutenant, two of the Zephyr Sentinel, the soldier rattle chains, if we can call it that. At three mana, we have one General Kudro, two King Darien, one Lagrella the Magpie. Four Skystrike Officer, one Thalia Heretic Cathar, and two Queen Kayla Bin Krug. The only red card in the list, two copies of Queen Kayla, who is there. She's not even a soldier, she's a noble, but she's there for, I guess, card advantage. Four Collected Company, and a mana base that, you know, while it has those five color lands, it also has some just dual lands you hope for the best. What do you guys make of this construction? <laughs> yeah, I mean. This seems so much worse to me than Collected Company decks that get to play Llanowar Elf. You cast Collected Company later, your power level isn't that high. Like, all the cards they're adding aren't that good, even. Like, King Darien, General Kudro, Zephyr Sentinel. Like, you're bending your deck to do all this stuff. Those cards don't do that much. This deck has, again, very, very little removal. Um, the only disruption it really has is Bounty Agent. People should probably look that card up. They don't know what it does. And uh, Thalia herself. Again, like what what deck do you think this is good against? Like what archetype is this good against? Is this good against mono green? Is this good against red black? Is this good? I mean, is this good against Phoenix? I mean, I don't even understand why it's a soldier deck. Like, what is the payoff for playing soldiers? Is it just Sky Strike Officer and activating the beachhead? I suppose. I can't imagine that you'd attack with five soldiers for Harbin that often. I mean, if you do the game's over, but it's like. <laughs> You attack with five soldiers, you win. Wasn't the game already over? Yeah, exactly. Like I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I, I. It honestly seems like somebody really wanted to play five color humans again. They wanted to play it in Pioneer, and they made it happen, and they managed five zero with it. But I don't know that this actually has advantages over anything else as much as it is another option for you if you need it. I guess they're playing as Zephyr Sentinel, and they're not playing Thraben Inspector. That's that's a heartbreaker. That just hurts. Right. Like when I saw the Zephyr Sentinel, it was, I was, my immediate thought was, you know, what, what are they actually doing with it? And, uh, I, I don't think it's much. Do you guys know what bounty agent does without looking? I know what it does. Absolutely not. Asking you. No. 2T vigilance taps for some okay, that's weird true. thing. It's a human soldier. I'll give you that. It's like tap sack. And you sack, you sack bounty agent. And then what does it do? I feel to say like it kills a planeswalker or something. Does that sound right? Oh, I thought that's what it did. It, that's not what it does. Doesn't it destroy exile one thing of yours and one thing of theirs? Am I thinking of, I'm thinking of something? It different. destroys target legendary permanent, but that legendary permanent has to be an artifact creature enchantment. I thought it was those three plus planeswalker. So it's it's not even what I thought. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're playing this to blow up planeswalkers. It does not do that. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. 
All right, enough about soldiers. <laughs> we'll keep shuffling together the soldiers in different configurations. I, I think these decks are really cool. I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive of them. These look like the kind of decks that we won't see that much of in 5-0 dumps after people kind of like determine maybe it's a worse version of humans or something. Unless there's something really here in one of these two builds. If you're making me pick which one, I'd guess the first one because it's doing something unique. I don't get what making your mana terrible is. Like again, I, like I said, the card quality isn't going up that much in the second list. And... So I, I, I'm not getting what's happening there. I'd have to watch the games play out to maybe have a better sense of mm-hmm. it. And it's just got a lot of like random one-off legends, two-of legends that are not adding a lot of consistency, let's say. Like, have you done the math on this? Like two Bounty of Agents is perfect. One Kytheon, you don't ever want to have a second one. Okay, but like three Soldier of the Pantheon. One Lagrella, but two Queen Kayla. I mean, all the legends, I thought they were going to play Hajar, which is also a legendary human soldier, but I guess that's just spr- stretching them <laughs> nope. out too far. No, they're they're headed. <laughs> they're walking a higher path. All right, enough about soldiers. Let's talk about uh, your favorite card, David, the Falaji Archaeologist. Yeah, so Mr. Rabe uh, with another 5-0. I, I want to see, like, every set I feel like he 5-0s in the first week or two weeks with a tweaked version of his Just Guy Sentency list. He is a master at playing these. He's a master at adding just the right amount of cards. He doesn't, like, 5-0 throughout the rest of the set. So I wonder if he just, like, gets the perfect list in the first week. He's like, all right, I got, that's done. Like, back to modern. I don't, I, you know, like... <laughs> He just like shows up, dominates, and's like you know, kind of brushes himself off, and <laughs> like Kwai Chang Kane, he just like leaves town off to save. <laughs> like when the next set comes out, I will five zero again with a new cheap blue or red or blue or white. Until card. then, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so this card is awesome in this deck. Um, the archaeologist mills three, and then you may put a non-creature, non-land card in your hand and the deck is basically just those cards right so it's unlikely to miss uh you have 28 hits 20 oh 30 hits with to the two sahilis and the body is very relevant because you're always looking for something to put retraction helix on so he found a way to a this is a card that helps him find just guy sentency but then it also helps him actually win the game because you need a body um for the retraction helix combo and the body itself is relevant. You block Sahili for four Sahili. Yeah, there's there's no other new tech here. I, I was thinking maybe this would be a place where you could play the new uh, Pyromancer variant. But I'm not here to question any of the decisions made. It's it's just a super, super sweet deck. So anyway, just so people are aware, the combo is you put Retraction Helix on an A creature. You bounce a zero mana artifact over and over again. Um, your creature becomes infinitely large, or creatures, because if you have a Sahili, you have a Ledger Shredder, you have an Emery or whatever, um, or Emery can be tapping multiple times. You just make something infinitely large and then just kill your opponent. Retraction Helix is blue instant. Target creature you control gains the ability until the end of turn to tap and bounce in on that permanent. So it's kind of weird. It's kind of like you built your own Emery that way. So now every time you tap your creature to bounce your zero mana artifact, Recasting the artifact triggers Jeskai Ascendancy to untap the creature again and grow it. And then, you know, if it is a Mox Amber in the best of cases, you get a bunch of mana. And then at the end, if you just have a couple spells to cast, you get to eliminate their blockers because you can bounce their permanents as well. So, you know, the you you filled your graveyard by looting with your Ascendancy and you've made a bunch of blue mana. And then you, once you've made your creature, whatever, 20 power... The last effect is you tap bounce their creature, cast treasure cruise, you know, untap it. You've got two blue mana floating. You cast consider 
bounce their creature, etc. So you don't need a flying creature. You don't need a creature with trample. It is its own sort of very, uh, it solves its own problem for you. So let's talk about the Philogy Archaeologist. We like the theory of this card. However, we've been disappointed before with Augur of Bolas. What's different here? Well, a couple things. We established that milling three and getting one back is stronger than whatever the look of the top three effect is because cards in your graveyard are a real resource. Here we're seeing four Dell spells, two dig, two cruise. So yeah, the, the mill three is always pretty good. You also want to be searching for something relevant, right? You have to have a high value thing you're digging toward, the Jeskai Ascendancy being that card here. And when you look at the composition of the deck, actually only 11 of the cards are instants and sorceries. So the fact that the archaeologist can find artifacts, can find enchantments, can even find your Sahili Planeswalker, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually doing a lot of work in a way that no previous card was capable of doing. Yeah, perfect home for it. This is not the only home I think it can have in the format, but this is, uh, it looks incredible in this list, and this list looks, this does not look like a fluky list. This looks like a list that if, we made Mr. Ray play like five leagues every week. He would have a 5-0 every week for the rest of the, the format. All right. So from Palaji Archaeologist, we go now to a pile of white cards. Zach, tell us about this list. You highlighted this one. Did. So this is the um, uh, Urian Mono White Devotion deck. And the reason that this was something that was on my mind was, of course, Kayla's Reconstruction. So Kayla's Reconstruction is, as, as we read it before, X, White, White, White. Uh, the more mana you pour into it, the more of the top seven cards you get to play, um, creatures or artifacts. And this is, uh, as with most Devotion decks, the best mana sink in the Pioneer format is probably Karn. So you get to play four Karn, the Great Creator, as well as a uh, Wishboard. Anyway, so this one is playing Thraven Inspector, as well as Ambitious Farmhand, Charming Prince... Intrepid Adversary, which I'll come back to, Knight of the White Orchid, Anointed Peacekeeper, Brutal Cathar, and Skyclave Apparition. So you've got eight three-drop creatures you can flip into that are removal, um, the Brutal Cathar and the Skyclave Apparition. So that's definitely one of the things you want to have with uh, Kayla's Reconstruction, um, as well as Portable Holes. Um, Knight of the White Orchid makes sense here because you're a Devotion deck, you're trying to create a mass of lands so that you can uh, create as much mana as humanly possible, as well as pips. Uh, Intrepid Adversary is something you can Kayla's re Reconstruction into and sink any additional mana into. So this was from the cycle from Midnight Hunt. This is one and a white for a 3-1 lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a white any number of times. Uh, it will get that many plus one, plus one counters. Or sorry, it will get that many valor counters and creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each valor counter on it. And then this deck is also playing four copies of Laydown Arms because you have uh, ways to increase the number of planes you have in play. This is the new removal spell, White Sorcery. Exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. And it's also playing some Demolition Fields. So this is the new Field of Ruin that uh, is a May. That's the only, the, the only difference is it doesn't force the search. Um, and then we've got three copies of Elspeth Conquers Death as more high-end payoff. It just looks generally sweet to me and um, slightly more proactive than uh, some of the other versions that I've seen uh, semi-recently, let's say. 
Yeah, I think I just haven't processed these cards yet because when I'm looking at them and hearing you describe all these creatures, I'm like, man, this this deck sounds terrible. <laughs> like, why would I want to play? It's like they're cheap creatures, but they're very mid-rangey. So where is the explosive power coming from? Well, there are the four Nykthos, and that has to let you do something sweet. So one of the sweet things is Karn. Karn with a full set of interesting artifacts to get. The other thing must be this Kayla's Reconstruction, and again, I think it's partly, partly just because my brain doesn't see the card, but they're playing the full four copies of the Reconstruction. So maybe that's like the sauce that lets us that go over the top. Yeah, it certainly could be. I mean, I enjoyed the Mono White Devotion decks before in Pioneer, and at that point, they were Heliod combo decks with Walking Ballista. So it may be the case that without that, this doesn't actually end up being a big metagame player. But I, I just thought it was uh, definitely like an interesting tweak and worth the uh, check-in. Yeah, it's, so they're playing Lay Down Arms, which is a removal spell that uh, Mord and Dan argued about, or somebody argued about. Did anyone like it? Who 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 brought this up as a card we should talk about? Mord? Yeah, Mord liked it, but he was thinking for modern. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really discuss Pioneer. Yeah, so it's interesting to me that they're playing this card. The life doesn't matter, so that's good. This is a deck that's going to win <laughs> agonizingly slowly. But their removal lines up so poorly against a deck like Grease Fang, right? So that's why they're loaded up with Hearse, but again, you're playing an 80-card deck. So this probably has very, very polarized matchups. Um, I don't think you could ever beat Grease Fang. You're probably amazing against Red Black. Uh, and Kayla's Reconstruction just goes so far over the top of what Red Black's trying to do. And you're probably also a dog to Mono Green, which is going to be the better Devotion deck, right? They're just going to go way over the top of you. Yeah, at least you can you can interact with them, though, right? Like... You can lay down arms, their elf. You can portable hold their enchantments. Uh, you can anointed peacekeeper, their planeswalker. And if you just make it, if you have some board presence before they resolve their first planeswalker, then mono green is a huge dog. So you just kill whatever they play by attacking it. And then you Kalis reconstruction to find your anointed peacekeepers. I mean, whatever. You well, whatever you need, right? Like Knight of the White Orchids. Well, you just take any body, right? Warm bodies will kill them at that point. You know, Skyclave Apparition, Annoyed Peacekeeper, these are cards that interact very well with, with Planeswalkers, or against Planeswalkers, so. Right. So, love that. I'm going to try that for sure. Two more Pioneer lists to talk about. They're both in Gruel colors, but they're, they're variations of two known decks. The first one I'm going to call Gruel Karuga Fires. We've seen Karuga Fires take off in the last two or three weeks as... A Leyline Binding five-color build with Kenrith, with Omneths. I guess technically a four-color build in Pioneer. They do play a basic swamp, though, just for, oh, true. <laughs> just for shits and giggles. <laughs> but, yeah. And a world we'll, we'll tree. We'll give you a five-color, Dan. Ooh, world tree. <laughs> but what if you wanted to play a more streamlined version of the Karuga Fire's top end? What do I mean? Well, if you restrict yourself to just Gruel colors, you get access to... Actually, a pretty sick little combo. So the card is Rootwire Amalgam. This is one of the new prototypes from Brothers War. It's a five drop, but its prototype version is a two mana, two, three. So already, um, that's actually kind of helpful for someone trying to play Karuga. Karuga does not let you play anything that is less than three CMC, but Rootwire Amalgam and the prototypes get around that. They give you a two, three blocker. Who cares? Well, it has a second ability. 
Ritwire Amalgam says, three green green, sack the Amalgam, turn one of your lands into an XX elemental, where X is three times the power of the Ritwire Amalgam. <laughs> is that right? Yep. Yes. That's wild. So if you've got the, the small prototype, uh, you get, what, a 6-6 six, six land. But if you play it for its full price, you get a 15-15 15, 15 land. Is that correct? Looks to be. That's a smashy boy. So imagine Fires of Invention is in play. So you just cast a Ritwire Amalgam for no mana. You can activate its ability immediately because it doesn't require tapping. So you're attacking for 15 out of nowhere with Fires and Ritwire Amalgam in play. The rest of the deck is, you know, somewhat aggressive, somewhat not. Because um, again, you, you can't play low drops. So you're, you're playing your Lovestruck Beast, you're playing your Bonecrusher Giant to give you something to do in the early turns. But, you know, you're, you're not knocking anyone's socks off out of the gates. Um, they're actually playing Careful Cultivation just as like a two-mana mana dork um, to give you some, some way to like get on the board faster. Karn the Great Creator is here as a four of. Pretty decent with fires now that the Karn Wishboard is getting a little more powerful. And we see the three Cavalier of Flames, very common with Fires, and three copies of A Crow in War, an interesting card that is seeing a lot more play in the Gruel Vehicles deck, for example. Yeah, people have been liking these Karuga decks. They are sort of kind of like a powerful mid-range list that has very little interaction. Um, your opponent's just going to get to do whatever they want, and will you be able to beat that is the question. I, I think... You kind of have to mulligan to some some of your cheap spells, so I think you have to play more of them than this. Like the 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 Kruga lists have been playing, you know, like sweepers on three to try to catch up. This deck is not doing that, right? It's it's saying, all right, I'm going to play a green one one with my Love Strike Beast on one. I'm going to play maybe nothing on two, and then cast Love Strike Beast on three, and then fires on four. Like that curve is not acceptable. So you have to be mulliganing to doing more on your early turns. So I'd like to see more cheaper plays. I don't know specifically what cards I would cut, but uh, I, li I like the idea. It's just a really cool idea. It didn't even occur to me that Rootwire uh, Amalgam was so cool um, with fires. They're only playing three, so they can have one in the Karn board. I wonder if you just want to maybe have a option to just have all four main. Karn can find other stuff for you. What happens if they just block the 15-15? Well, I think people don't realize it's coming. <laughs> Maybe at a, at a certain point, people will get it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, there's no way to give it trample. Um, hmm. And not that you should maybe be doing that. I, it's very, very interesting to me, <laughs> everything that's happening. Yeah, it's a fun list. It's a fun list for sure. Yeah, super, super cool list. The other thing about Karns I always want to point out is Karns stop... Grease Fang from happening. So yeah. Karn is like a default way to to interact with one of the quote unquote unfair decks in the format. So it's it's always just a reasonable thing to do if your deck is slow and clunky. You you really bad against Grease Fang. So if you just get Karn in play, then you can at least buy out yourself a couple turns. Now the other Gruel list that has been picking up a lot of steam is Gruel Vehicles. Eight elves, four of the Reckless Stormseeker that can give a creature haste, and then you're trying to give haste to your Asikos Chariot and your Sky Sovereign, right? Forget playing Karn and fetching the Sky Sovereign. No, we're just trying to play the Sky Sovereign on curve and smash face with it. This list has been, we mentioned it first, what, four, three, four weeks ago? It's been racking up some nice trophies. Uh, it won the SCG event two weeks ago. 
last weekend in the God of Pioneer event in Japan, you know, 200 and some players, a version of this deck made top eight that had a crazy splash into Jund colors. Why were they splashing into Jund? Because they wanted to meld Mishra. They wanted to meld Mishra with Mishra's Phyrexian Dragon Engine. Four copies of each. So the basic shell I just described, but you just jam in four Phyrexian Dragon Engine. That's a 2-2 double strike with Unearth for five. Four Mishras, which is a 3-5 for four that drains when you attack. But if you ever attack with both at the same time, you meld into a very, very impressive Mega Mishra. Yeah, so what did they cut for that? They cut two... I mean, I know that the lists are not 100% locked in, but they basically cut Lovestruck Beast, and they made the mana worse because they're playing black. They cut Lovestruck Beast, and then they had four other cuts somewhere. Yeah, they cut a couple three drops. They cut um, the slot that is sometimes a Crow and War and sometimes Fable. So they're only playing two Fables, zero a Crow and War. Okay. Yeah, and then they cut a Bone Crusher Giant. Something like that, yeah. But they cut a Wreck the Stormseeker, which seems crazy to me. I guess you just have to do that to make the numbers work. <laughs> so do you believe in Mishra? Like, the Dragon Engine, I can kind of see it, but Mishra himself is terrible, I maintain, apart from exactly the meld synergy. Well, this is the first deck I've ever seen suggest playing Mishra that actually seems to be in line with what it does, which is that it has a trigger that drains your opponent uh, based on the number of attacking creatures, and this deck goes kind of wide to do that. I've never actually seen anyone suggest playing Mishra in a deck with creatures and like with a wide board of creatures that's intending to attack. So three, five for four is not anywhere near good enough, but I guess if you think the meld uh, comes up often enough. Maybe the idea is that Mishra is, is kind of like a Shaildred, like very mm. hard to kill. Like it's annoyingly hard to kill unless you specifically knew they were going to bring Shaildreds and packed specific removal for it. So if you resolve Mishra, even though that's not an impressive turn, it's probably still going to be there next turn. So if you do have the Dragon Engine in the graveyard, you can actually meld. Is that somewhat plausible? I don't believe that <laughs> no. to be true. I, 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 Shieldred is easy to kill. I don't know this world you guys live in where Shieldred just lives. So just push. All right, my turn. This game is over. <laughs> Counterspell for two mana. I think Shieldred, particularly in the red black list, which is very aggressive and disruptive, it, it's not always easy to kill because you had to kill other stuff and then they have ways to remove your removal spells. So in the in the specific context of the red black deck and other black decks that are playing discard spells, it's not always easy to remove. This one doesn't have that, but I guess the idea is they're going to be trying to kill your elves, they're going to be trying to kill your storm seekers, they're going to be trying to kill your bone crusher giants, and then when you finally get to the Mishra, uh, theoretically they're tapped out on that stuff well this is way more aggressive than red black so yeah. I, I think the aggression argument is better here i don't know dan again like adding the third color which i've done a lot is 100 not free oh god 100 <laughs> not free. i have a lot of feedback about that but and the amount of times you're going to not be able to play your fourth land untapped with uh four botanical or for the black green mm-hmm. uh fast land and then two of the uh creature lands is again super not trivial so if you specifically have a nut draw i guess i'm into it and i kind of like that it turns your elves and like wolf tokens which is often or uh, cat tokens which is often what's left after you kind of exchange now you just get to play this and attack with your like uh, cat and two elves and you drain for three 
But that just seems so medium, doesn't it? Like, that's not <laughs> broken. I mean, and then they probably get to block those profitably. So, yeah, it must be specifically the meld. And if you're going to do that, then I agree with you, Dan. Why are you not playing the haste creature? It's so important. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, some interesting findings from week one of Pioneer in the Spice category. Let's shift. Before we head out, let's shift to Modern. Modern still has some brewers. Still the most popular formats. Still the format where anything is possible. Where dreams become memes and turn back into dreams or something. I'm, and then I'm, memes become reality. Exactly, exactly. So we alluded to Haywire Might at the top of the show. As a card you put in your Urza Saga board and you feel like very responsible. But if you want to get a little bit crazy, you could play a lot of Haywire Mites. <laughs> I think someone mentioned, oh, it's an insect for Grist. Does that matter? No, of course not. Unless, unless we're playing a lot of insects. So the player Crusherbot BG, well-known grinder who often brings some spice, put together a list that I guess we can just call insect tribal. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, I, I, would, I yeah. would do so. Yes, <laughs> I think so. This list went three and one in a prelim, which are fairly competitive events, and it looks absolutely nuts to me. Like, these creatures, there's 24 creatures, none of which see any regular play in modern. And one of which isn't even an insect, but it is an insect lord. <laughs> oh my gosh. Four copies each of Haywire Might, Hex Parasite, which does synergize with Urza Saga. Actually, you have like a little saga package going right there between those two insects and the saga. But we need more insects than that, right? If we're going to play Insect Tribal for Grists, we need more insects. So what, what can we possibly play? Well, Brain Maggot is an insect. Crawl Harpooner is an insect that shoots down Ledger Shredders. Thank you very much. Realm Walker, if you squint, that counts as an insect. And Blex Vexing Pest. Is this the one that's not actually an insect? It's not actually an insect. It's a pest. It's an insect lord that gains four life when it dies. But it has... But it has some of the greatest combination of text on it because other pests, bats, insects, snakes, and spiders you control get plus one, plus one. And I don't know if you noticed the four copies of Swarm Yard in the mana base, but that is oh my god, tap for a colorless or tap regenerate target insect, rat, spider, or squirrel. So Blex in there <laughs> as an homage to your Swarm Yard tribal deck. I did not see the Swarm Yards. Also, Blex does have a back... A back. Uh, version, yes. which is like a four mana look at your top five, I think, and you can pay three Any life number, to put each. Yeah, in your hand yeah. for three life each. It's crazy. Search for Blex. So it doesn't even have the normal legendary problem where you're like, oh, I drew too many <laughs> Blexes. You just four <laughs> mana draw five, baby. Yeah, this is the, the problem that's been plaguing players for months now, drawing too many copies of Blex Vexing Pest. Finally been solved by Crusherbot BG. Where is the power from this deck? I mean, he won three matches somehow. Is it all from Grist? I mean, how does this work? So there's just four Grist, there's four Ethervile, four Chalice of the Void. So so just to, just remind people though, Dan, when you mill a card with Grist, if it's a insect, you do it again. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, that's like almost forgotten text, right? Every once in a while, you might hit like a tribal card. Or another Grist. But if you have a bunch of insects... Then you're like plussing it and you're maybe getting like a handful of insects. And now all of a sudden, a lord actually seems pretty good. <laughs> that's nuts. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the plan. 
Yeah, uh, I actually played this on stream last night. It was it was a very good time. We made some tweaks to it, but uh, it was it really came together pretty nicely. I think we got a three two. Uh, and Hex Parasite is just generally okay in the meta game with so many sagas and planeswalkers floating around. How did you win your matches? Like I, I could see a couple ways to win. I could see just making Ursa Saga constructs a bunch of times with the Hex Parasite in support. I could see Grist making a bunch of insects. I guess <laughs> actually those are the only two ways I can think of. I think that, well, uh, no, I don't think Gris making a bunch of insects ever won any games. It was mostly just like mopey creature beatdown or insane creature beatdown because um, Saga. And Chalice of the Void is just generally an okay card to be playing this metagame, especially if you can put it on zero or one. It uh, really helps you against a lot of matchups if you can do both those modes freely. Yeah, and they have Other Vile and Cavern of Souls to get through their own cavern on one. Or excuse me, their own chalice on one. How did the Haywire Might perform for you, Zach? The Haywire Might was not particularly remarkable. Um, it was fine. It wasn't anything I would write home about. So uh, I think the jury's out on if the 4X Haywire Might deck is really where you want to be. <laughs> um, it has targets, though, right? Like, you have other sagas... You have the ubiquitous white enchantment that is cheaper for the rainbow colors of mana. Yeah, Leyline Binding. Then you have Hammer Time. And then you have Blood Moon. Yep. Uh, I didn't run into there two. There you go. I mean, that's all the targets I need. I didn't run into too many of those cards, like all of those cards, but... Uh... Those are all like cards you'd expect to see in a league, though. If Absolutely. I told you you'd see those like three or four times in a league, you'd be like, okay, that's that seems like a normal league. Yep. All right. Well, congrats to Crusherbot BG on the wild list. Oh, just a sweet list. When people say like modern is a brewer's thing, this is what they're talking about. Absolutely. And uh... for brain magic <laughs> <laughs> resolves. <laughs> and Crusherbot's been out there uh, being one of those people who doesn't uh, listen to the status quo for a long time. They were the only person playing uh non-Lurus Hammer Time when Lurus was legal, and they are frequently the only person playing mono-white Hammer Time when most people are playing blue-white. So they got their chops. All right, another modern brew. The card Bitter Reunion, one in a red enchantment, when it ETBs, discard one, draw two, you can then sacrifice the Bitter Reunion to give your creatures haste until the end of the turn. So Zach, I think... Was it you and Mord who were like very excited about this card? I don't know about very excited, but definitely interested in it. It it does stuff. Yeah, I think Mord was thinking, okay, put that in your Enigmatic Incarnation deck. And mm -hmm. we did see a pioneer version of Enigmatic with four Bitter Reunions main deck. Uh, five of it, very nice. But in Modern, I could not figure out how to make Bitter Reunions second ability relevant. But I think this deck here might be it, right? This is from Musasabi, Japanese deck. I guess you could call it a Jund Archon creativity deck with the reanimation angle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, no blue. So that means you're playing a Dwarven Mind mana base. Eventually, you will get Indomitable Creativity for your Archon of Cruelties. However, you have a second way to do it. You can put Archon of Cruelties that you happen to draw, put those in the graveyard, and draw one of your three copies of Persist. How do you get it in the graveyard? Well, you have your four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Fine little card. Four Bitter Reunions. 
And on top of that, three copies of Mishra's command. Kind of the forgotten command from this set. We understand that each of its abilities can be useful, but it's kind of expensive to pull off. So it can shoot creatures, it can shoot planeswalkers, it can mill cars from your hand. Not mill, it can rummage cars from your hand. And it can do something else that escapes me right now. Yeah. Plus X plus O and haste. Yes. Okay. So it's another way to give your Archon haste, I guess. Another way to give your Archon haste. Red sorcery. <laughs> Archon gets haste. <laughs> Broken? Question mark. <laughs> All right. So at some point, you're going to draw a bit of reunion. Let's say you just have it in play because you draw it, you play it on turn two, right? You didn't draw your Venom Six. You loot away, the game continues. Now, later in the game, after resources have been exchanged, you do your thing, right? Whether that's to persist or the indomitable creativity, you get your first Archon into play. You get your trigger. You're way ahead. You have a mana left over. You sack a bit of reunion to give the Archon haste. You attack and get another trigger. Now the game is very, very over. That's a theory, at least. But, I mean, is bit of reunion actually necessary for this? Or is it kind of like win more? Well, it's another way with, like, Ren and Six being able to do Ren and Six's thing to just turn excess cards into your hand into Mm -hmm. more gas. So I feel like it's one of those, like... It's a fine card in this uh, deck as it is. It helps you discard Archons and then the haste mode is not irrelevant because then when you're persisting or indomitable creativity for like X1, as is sometimes the case, then you get uh, more power out of your Archon. Yeah, I think that Ren and Six point is very good, right? Ren and Six is very powerful, activated several times, and all of a sudden you're probably flooded with lands. You only get to play one land a turn. So being able to turn that extra land into two cards is is almost like a two-mana draw, too. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. I mean, Ren and Six, I was saying it for a long, long time before anyone else was, that it's just such a crazy card. And uh, taking advantage of being able to discard the cards, as with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, has been one of the, the big turning points, I think, for a lot of people's understanding of it. Yeah, one of the many Modern Horizons cards that's really, really terribly designed. So Zach, you play a lot of creativity. If you had to, if you had to guess, like what's the future of this particular configuration, specifically the Bitter Reunion and the Mishra's Command? I mean, I assume not bright. Um, <laughs> it's oh, no only in that. So I've seen a lot of these tweaks of creativity, whether it be Grixis or uh, Primeval Titan, come along. And it's it's very rare that one of them actually is able to unseat whatever the, the main build is. Uh, Spell Pierce is just such a good card in the format right now. And Thoughtseize, I don't think Thoughtseize and Inquisition make up for the flexibility of blue. Uh, but I could be wrong. This is definitely something I'm going to need to try to play myself. And uh, it, it who knows? This could be the new hotness. Uh, it took a while for Archon to overtake uh, Emrakul and Sarah's Emissary. But it did, and uh, so it is possible that this is the new hotness, so keep an eye on it. All right, I have two more decks I want to mention for our week one roundup. This next one, I'll go to David, because it features Third Path Iconoclast, the new young Pyromancer, but it gives artifact tokens. Does that matter? Well, it depends. I mean, what are you going to do with the artifact tokens? We talked about grinding breach, right? But what if you just want to make use of just having artifacts in play? So this is an aspiring Spike Brew. David, tell us about this Is It Iconoclast deck. 
Yeah, so it starts with a lot of cards that we've seen before. For Ragavan, for Emery, for Mishra's Bobble, for Thoughtcast. The Thoughtcast is a really interesting card. So you can imagine hitting them with your Ragavan and playing a Mox Amber or whatever. You get to cast your Thoughtcast. What's really cool is that Thoughtcast is reduced by Third Path Iconoclast. And then it makes more artifacts to make your next Thoughtcast even cheaper. So you have this weird snowball effect. And between Thoughtcast and Expressive Iteration, and then for Mishra's Bobble, you have a ton of velocity through your deck. So you have all these cards that see more cards. They all trigger Third Path Iconoclast. Iconoclast makes Thoughts cast cheaper. It makes your Metallic Rebukes basically always, you know, one mana, mana leak. There's a few pieces of interaction. Galvanic Blast, Unholy Heat. Uh, again, Galvanic Blast, like a Super Lightning Bolt. Um, I watched a little bit of Spike playing this deck, and he just killed people out of nowhere with like two... Galvanic Blast and attack with your Iconoclast. Um, then just a bunch of random artifacts that can be found with your Saga. And then your Saga tokens are huge because you have this third path Iconoclast. So yeah, it's a cool little deck. It uh, There's lots of synergies and it's like weirdly interactive because you have efficient one mana interactive for creatures on the board. You have efficient one mana interactive for spells on the stack with two spell pierce, three metallic rebuke. Yeah, the counterspell speed is something I would not expect to see in a deck like this. Um, I imagine you could just get a lot of people with that when the deck is an unknown quantity. In terms of filling out the final slots, I noticed that he's not playing the Shadow Spear main deck. Instead, he is playing the one Mox Amber and the one Mishra's Research Desk. Kind of a sleeper card, like it's growing on me a little bit. I didn't pay too much attention to it during preview week because I thought it was a little too expensive. It was one to cast, two to unearth. Activate it for one, you exile your top two cards, and one of those cards you can play this turn. But David, you started putting together some deck lists in that uh, the article that we alluded to at the top of the show with uh, some new sketches, and it seemed like you were finding the research decks to be like a very important glue card, in, in Pioneer at least, where the artifact decks don't quite have the same range of tools. So it got me thinking, like, okay, what, what actually is the research desk offering here? And essentially it's offering you to, like, draw four cards and keep two of them, which while expensive is actually quite powerful for at least like a one of saga target. And when your deck is cheap, it's really easy to get a card out of it super early. You know, it's sort of like a synthesizer where you see how cheap all this deck is and you, it's even cheaper than it looks because Emery's really a man, one mana thought cast is typically one or two mana. Metallic rebuke is typically tapping two artifacts of some kind and a, and a mana. So it's very easy to like look for a land, and even if you miss a land, you still get a card out of it because you get to play Bobble or whatever. So it's it's just a very impressive card. And in the mid to late game, like you're saying, as a target for Saga, much more useful than Bobble because you maybe have an extra mana lying around and you can really look for your third path iconoclast to begin building your army or whatever. Definitely interested in taking uh, this one out, playing a bit with it, and maybe I finally found an uh, expressive iteration deck that I could... <laughs> want to play all right one last deck and this deck i do not understand at all it is a naya ramp deck from the mtgo user nitriglize nitriglize and i can't make heads or tails of this this is the strangest deck i've seen in a long time it's trying to ramp but that much i can tell because it has blood suns and lotus fields so that, that combo does let you have an impressive, like, three to six skip. But the rest of the deck is a complete mystery to me. Zach, can you help me make some heads or tails of this? 
I could try. Uh, so we've got Eternal Witness, one copy, two Timeless Witness. The classic cards to keep you in the game when you're going slower than your opponent, Fury and Solitude, four copies of each. Um, we've got some Gideon ally of Zendikar. Not entirely sure why. Um, <laughs> we got the Cleansing Wildfire. Um, Whereas the Flagstones of Trocare thing going on. Um, only four copies of Flagstone, no indestructible lands, so no rule of eight on that at all. But we're just playing general, good old explore. And then we get into some of the more speculative cards. Because there's Blood Sun with the, the Lotus Field. Sorry, I probably should have mentioned that off the top. And then there's a bunch of cards that see next to no play in many formats so we've got three escape to the wilds two titania's command and i've been bearing the lead here because then we get to four awaken the woods and there's even a zakama in here so it's just like naya blood field lotus sun ultra ramp and i don't i guess timeless witness in most cases you'll be able to unearth it or um eternalize it so they want more of those than just playing eternal witness but they also still want one eternal witness for whatever reason but why awaken the woods when we looked at this card it's x green green sorcery make x dryad arbor tokens essentially i was thinking landfall like okay it's a unique way to make lands and i guess technically they are they're mana dorks so they ramp you as well i do not understand why this deck is playing this card and why it's playing four copies yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there is synergy with Gideon Ally of Zendikar creating a, a Anthem uh, emblem. Um, I, other than that, I got nothing. Like, there's really not. I, it. Mm, I don't know if I'm just missing something. I'm looking in the mana base. There's no, like, Castle Embereth to give all your Dryad Arbors plus one plus O. Oh. I, yeah, I don't get it. I, I really don't know why they decided to play four copies of that card. There's no Valakit and no Dryad. It makes me wonder if we like don't understand how good just casting this for X equals two is. Like maybe that's just awesome somehow and we just don't get it. That's entirely possible. You can then eat those tokens with a Lotus Field to lock in your value, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I'm with Zach. I, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> like in a format with Counterspell and... Fury, like how the hell is Awake in the Woods doing anything against any version of any deck? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I have no, I have no idea what's happening. Like, I just, I don't, I don't even understand. Yeah, I, I just like Timeless Witness is not even playable. I, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, I mean, I get why they're there, but I also don't understand why they then split two and one Timeless Witness to Eternal Witness. Like, that makes no sense to me. Um, Grove of the Burn Will is in this is in this deck. That makes no sense to me. Like, there's no synergy for it whatsoever, as far as I can see. Okay. Many mysteries for this. Like, I don't know that we'll find any answers here, but if anyone knows, please contact me, because I would like to know the answer. But congrats to Nitroglyze on the 5-0. All right, so that is week one. Some of the spicier lists. What do you guys think? I mean, we're just a few days into Brothers War season. You like what you see so far? Uh, I've I've been impressed by the modern innovations, and I I really enjoy how much people get into the spirit of it at this point. I was out there trying to meld Urza and the Mightstone and Meekstone, or Mightstone and Weakstone, and uh, had a lot of people tuning in to enjoy that. 
I would have done it multiple times, but my opponents always conceded first uh, because I had unfortunately already won the game. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these meld cards are very win more, um, but I did get to kill a uh, Merktide Regent with uh, with a uh, Mightstone Weakstone trigger. So sometimes you just got to be in it for the stories. Yeah, I was hoping I'd see more people try more cards in Pioneer. Maybe they are and they just aren't very good. But um, it seems like people really are just locked in right now to just trying to qualify. And most of the people that are trying to qualify don't like Pioneer very much. So they just want to play stock list, which is totally fine. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it is because of the timing. Like There haven't been that many days for Magic Online results to come out and so much energy focused on this big paper tournament that yeah we won't see until next week perhaps like the spice come out in pioneer but I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be more modern has impressed me the list we talked about get a little crazy and i think when we went through our set review we identified a bunch of cards that you know they do a, something well enough that like, i could kind of imagine them being in a deck and modern does give you the tools to like at least create that plausible shell for those cards so somebody 5-0 with the the one drop goblin that's a 3-2 menace if you sacrifice something they, they found enough sack effects between fetch lands and mistress bubbles and mind collapses to like turn that on enough of the time to be a three two menace and if i vote which is cool the blanchwood prowler it's a sadder wayfinder but it's an elemental turns out that if you are playing a thunderkid awakener vesper lark elemental deck this is the perfect card for your deck and so a player was finding success in a prelim with that and they were saying how perfect it was for their strategy so little things like that where, you know, I don't think that those cards can make it in Pioneer. Maybe they're too specific in what they do, but it is nice that at least, you know, these cards are getting added to the card pool and at least in Modern you could try them and make them work. So I'm hoping we'll see more like that in the coming weeks. Yeah, we shall see. All right, so I think that will do it for our week one roundup. But we're not done for the week. We have our brew session coming up and we have picked a spicy one, one of the high-profile cards for the set. It's Diabolic Intent. So we will have that show for you coming up in just a few days on Friday, and we'll also tell you about our testing results from last week with the Arcane Proxy. So stick around, and you'll hear all about that soon. See you next time, folks. Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for new brews with Diabolic Intent plus testing results with Arcane Proxy. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.